to Investable Universe, where we seek to demystify the world of real assets investing. What do we mean by real assets? Well, it's real estate, it's infrastructure, it's commodities and their associated stocks. If you can touch it and you can invest in it, it's a physical asset, and that's what we'll be looking at in this series. These assets have historically outperformed in late cycle environments, they've defended better in recessions, and with all the talk of slower economic growth and uncertainty around global trade and geopolitical issues, we say it's time to take a closer look at real assets. Here on Investable Universe, we talk about ways people are investing in real assets, whether it's through listed companies or ETFs or through non-public companies funded by private equity and venture capital. And when we talk about real assets, we're talking about areas like infrastructure, real estate, commodities, and natural resources, or as we say, the market of physical things. Increasingly, these asset classes are the target of sustainable innovation. We can build bridges, highways, buildings, and extract and process materials in a way that is more efficient and less damaging uh, than ever before. So how do we incentivize investment in these areas? And can these investments truly have a global footprint? My guest this week leads a company whose product touches almost every part of the real assets group. It's the cement and concrete industries. These paired industries are worth more than a trillion dollars and are the second largest industrial emitters of CO2 on the planet. Tom Schuler is the president and CEO of Solidia Technologies based in New Jersey. For the past decade, his firm has been developing and refining a patented process for cement production that not only reduces the carbon footprint, but uses less energy and significantly reduces water consumption. So we are going to do a deep dive into the fascinating world of cement and concrete, the global market that Solidia's product is poised to address, and why major corporate venture capital is backing them. Thank you for speaking with me on the Investable Universe podcast, Solidia's Tom Schuler. First of all, Tom, I would love for listeners to benefit from your 101 on the cement and concrete markets. I thought they were the same thing, uh, but they're complementary markets, apparently, with some key differences. So explain, before we get into the Solidia value proposition, where we start with cement and concrete. Yeah, that, thanks, Rebecca. It's a pleasure being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the first thing most folks don't know is that there's actually a difference between cement and concrete. So the way that I like to explain is cement's kind of the glue that holds concrete together. And they really are, despite the fact that they've been around for thousands of years and really haven't had a, a new technology in about 200 years, um, they really are very different markets who, who behave very differently. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine the cement market, uh, you know, is is really the thing that holds the concrete together and concrete's the second most used material on the planet. Mm-hmm. So there's a heck of a lot of it. It's everywhere. And the cement that they use can be made essentially anywhere on the planet, wherever you've got limestone, which is everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, you can make cement and thus you can make concrete. Okay. So these, but these markets are not, are not integrated. They're, they're complements, but they're not they're not the same. So what are so how what are the pain points for each one of them? Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're in the cement market uh, and and there's a dispute with a concrete guy, you know, the cement guy blames the concrete guy, the concrete guy blames the cement guy, and if they can't agree, they blame the aggregate guy. Uh-huh. Um, the cement guys are really focused on right now um, how do they reduce their their environmental footprint? Right mm-hmm. now, when you make a ton of cement, you make a ton of CO2. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, with all the emphasis around the world on reducing carbon footprint, 
um, that footprint and the fact that they're the second largest emitter, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, is really, really important. It's something they're working on. What people maybe don't know is that they're also a very large energy user. In a, in a mm-hmm. country like China, almost half of their energy is is used to manufacture cement. Mm-hmm. So anything that can reduce that footprint is helpful. So that's really where they're focused right now is footprint reduction. Well, the mm-hmm. concrete guys, they don't have a footprint problem. Mm-hmm. They don't have a CO2 problem. They don't have an energy problem. They use a lot of water. They use about 3 trillion liters a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a million Olympic swimming pools, just to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, their real focus is on durability and how the product looks and how it works. And so they really are at loggerheads in some regard with, mm-hmm. hey, I've got a problem with my CO2 and I need to find a solution. And the concrete guys, well, I don't have that problem. So it's an interesting dynamic between these two uh, things, even within the same company, you know, mm-hmm. you have companies that are fully integrated, mm-hmm. you know, from cement manufacturer down to concrete, mm-hmm. um, and they're still not aligned and integrated in terms of their goals in a lot of cases. So do you find this misalignment or this this lack of integration to be consistent across all markets globally? Is this just the nature of cement and concrete manufacturers? They just, they don't get along no matter where they're operating? Yeah, you know, it's really funny. When I got in very naively, I thought, oh, well, it's all the same market. We'll be yeah. great. We've got, a, we've got a solution for both of them. Uh-huh. And uh, what I found was I don't care if you're in North America, Europe, China, it's all the same. The mm-hmm. cement guys don't like the concrete guys and vice versa. Now, they, they can't live without each other. So uh-huh. they do get along and they do do a lot of work together. Uh, but they think about life a little bit differently in the way that businesses run. And uh, that's been one of the challenges we've had getting into this market is recognizing that difference and being able to appreciate which problem we had to solve with each group. So it sounds like with Solidia, you're solving a number. of. So let's talk the Solidia difference. Let's get into Solidia enters the scene. We've got these problems. Cement has uh, cement has uh, the carbon emission problem. Concrete has it doesn't really have the same environmental footprint issue, but does uh, have some have a wish list in terms of durability. Where does Solidia come in? So we come in in both places, and if mm-hmm. we can maybe start with the cement guys, sure. you know, uh, you put a cement plant where you've got raw materials, uh, which is usually where you have a limestone quarry. They can only ship it about 150 kilometers to 250 kilometers, so it's it's very much a very localized market. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and and our challenge going in is these things are expensive. You know, mm-hmm. if you wanted to buy a new cement kiln. You know, it's $300, $400 million in order to replace it. Mm-hmm. So I can't walk in with a new technology and say, oh, well, I've got all new raw materials. I've got all new equipment. You should adopt our technology. So we took the strategy of, all right, we're going to use your existing equipment. We're going to use your existing raw materials. But what we're going to do is we're going to change the recipe of your chemistry mm-hmm. so that you make something very different. And uh, that would we in our minds we we thought that that's going to enable them to adopt it much more quickly because the the investment is pretty minimal, and the outcome is pretty exceptional. So, as we've gone into cement plants, what we found is that when we change this recipe, mm-hmm. we actually end up reducing their carbon footprint by thirty to forty percent, which is substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, We also reduce their energy by about 30%. So they're not using as much coal or pet coke or, you know, wherever they have because our chemistry actually occurs at a much lower temperature. Mm -hmm. Normally, if I'm going to make Portland cement, it happens at 1,500 degrees Celsius. Our reaction happens at about 1,200 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. That reduction means a lot less um, energy use. Now, the challenge is when the cement comes out, 
Mm-hmm. It's very different. You know, Portland cement reacts with water. That's how that chemistry happens when it uh, when it goes into concrete. Mm-hmm. Our product, Salia cement, only reacts with CO2. So you can leave it out in the rain if you wanted to, and it doesn't really matter. It's not going to react unless mm-hmm. you expose it to CO2. So these guys are looking at this going, all right, I've got my footprint reduction. I've got energy reduction. I've lowered my cost. Now what I need you to do, Solidity, is fill up my kiln with customers. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we transition to the concrete guys. Okay, so let's, can you walk me through the recipe for Solidia Cement? Just sort of take it step by step in terms of what you put in a mixer and what comes out. Sure. So for Solidia Cement, when you're making cement, mm-hmm. um, you usually use about two-thirds limestone and about a third of some kind of silica source, whether it's sand or shale or marl or something like that. And then you heat it up to 1,500 degrees Celsius. We take those same two ingredients and we make it a 50-50 blend of limestone and sand. Mm-hmm. That reaction happens at 1,200 degrees C, and we end up with a very, very different cement that only reacts with CO2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also don't have to add a lot of stuff um, to adjust our chemistry. With Portland cement, you have to add gypsum. You have to add bauxite. Um, they're both typically not cheap, and they come from far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need any of that to adjust our chemistry because our chemistry is so simple. Mm-hmm. So it really does simplify the manufacturing And just to kind of top it all off, Mm -hmm. for every ton of raw materials you would typically make, uh, use to make Portland cement, we'll actually make about 12% more cement with the same raw materials Mm -hmm. because we're not pumping as much CO2 up the stack. Mm -hmm. So the pain point for cement is the emissions issue. You've addressed that. So now we go to the concrete side of the equation. No emissions problem, but that's where carbonization comes in. Yeah, they, right. it's okay. interesting though. They do know about carbonizing stuff. They're uh-huh. they've they've been trying to do it for about forty years, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Because what they found out was that Portland cement concrete um, gets attacked by CO two that Mother Nature throws at it, yeah. and it tends to begin to degrade the concrete. It's mm-hmm. not as strong as it was before, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, that's a problem. So their thinking was. Well, look, if I can carbonate it at the beginning of its life, if I can kind of get that CO2 in there early, Mm -hmm. then I don't have to worry about it. It's going to be far more durable. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and the reason they couldn't do it with Portland cement concrete, Mm -hmm. was that Portland cement also likes to react with water. Uh So it's trying to react with water and with CO2 at the same time. Those two really don't get along very well. Uh And you don't end up with a very good concrete. Okay, so let's walk me through the process of making concrete. We've talked about how how cement is mixed. How does that then become concrete? Right. The great thing about concrete is I can make it pretty much anywhere. It's a lot like making bread. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make bread anywhere in the world, it's basically the same ingredients. You know, uh-huh. you got flour, you got water, you got a leavening agent, you know, whatever salt. Um, concrete's the same way. I've got cement. I've got sand, I've got rocks or, or aggregates, it's called, mm-hmm. and I've got water and I've got the, uh, the, the cement that holds it all together. I put it in a big mixer, I mix it up, and in the, the precast market, and that's the, a market where you're kind of making concrete in an industrialized setting, mm-hmm. pavers, blocks, roof tiles, you know, those big beams you see people carrying around as they're building a bridge or, or building a road, in some cases, a Jersey barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, those are actually uh, formed, and then they're put into a steam environment. Mm-hmm. The steam is supposed to accelerate the cure because 
Portland cement concrete takes about 28 days to cure. It takes okay. a long time. Uh-huh. Um, so what we did was we do we kind of do the same thing. We uh-huh. just trade out our Portland cement uh, with Solidia cement. Uh-huh. So we'll use the same sand, rocks, water. We need a little bit of water to kind of get it to flow into the mold. Uh-huh. But instead of putting it into steam, mm-hmm. we'll actually put it into CO2. Okay. And what happens? And, and it'll suck up a lot of CO2. Uh-huh. So our, our, our challenge is that water we put in, uh-huh. you know, concrete's like a big sponge. And right. if I've got water in it, all the holes in the sponge are filled with with water uh-huh. and co2 doesn't really go through water very well so if you buy a coke or a pepsi or a perrier mm-hmm. you know that's got co2 that's been kind of pushed into the water mm-hmm. well that takes a long time if i push co2 into water and that's a speed of one let's say uh-huh. if i can put co2 through air the speed is about ten thousand. Uh-huh. so it's a heck of a lot faster if once i can get the uh, the water out So when we get about half of the water out, so it's like wringing your sponge over the sink Mm -hmm. um, and the CO2 comes in, the CO2 actually dissolves in a little bit of the water that's left Uh and it reacts with the cement. And and in doing that, I take a gas in Mm -hmm. CO2 and I instantly convert it into a solid. Mm -hmm. And so it will, you know, if you do that, you create a vacuum and it'll actually suck in the next CO2 molecule Mm -hmm. to keep the process going until there's no more cement left for it to react with. And how long does that process take? It doesn't take very long. You know, if I, um, for us, we can completely cure just about any piece of concrete in less than 24 hours. And remember that's versus the, you know, the 28 days days that we talked about uh, earlier. Um, The reaction itself can happen in minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. So our biggest challenge is getting the water out. So talk more about the water requirements of Solidia. You mentioned that it takes less water than the production of traditional, uh, ordinary Portland cement. What kind of an impact does just using less water have? Well, we we don't actually consume any water. Mm-hmm. You know, we need it to kind of facilitate the process. I need it to flow it into a mold. Mm-hmm. But once we get it out, we recover it all and you can reuse it. Mm-hmm. Now, in countries, you know, if you go to the Middle East, you go to China, you go to India, you go to Southern California, mm-hmm. um, water is a big deal. Sure. And when we go to those areas, they're actually more interested in the water recovery than anything else that we offer, whether it's, the, mm-hmm. you know, the CO2 or the energy. So the water is a big, big deal. Uh, the challenge right now is most people aren't equipped to recycle the water. So we actually put that in as part of the, you know, the benefit. And if I go to places like China, water is really expensive. Uh-huh. And so being able to recycle, it's really valuable to those guys. Sure. I just want to follow up on your on on the time, the turnaround for this kind of cement. So you, typically 28 days to cure ordinary Portland cement. You're offering a solution that can cure in basically a day. What does this right. mean in terms of inventory turnover? What does this mean for the concrete manufacturer or the, for the for the concrete customer? So let me give you a really specific example. Uh, E.P. Henry in Wrightstown, New Jersey, they're a uh, a paver and block manufacturer. So when you go to uh, you know see Lady Liberty, there's a huge paving area around it, and those are pavers that are made by E.P. Henry. A typical paver company will turn their inventory maybe three or four times a year, largely because you know they have to do one thing that takes a lot of time, and that's clean out their equipment. If I want to change colors, if I want to change shapes, if I stop the equipment for any any reason, I have to clean the equipment out because as soon as water 
starts reacting with cement, it starts sticking to stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, the beauty of our mix is we don't stick to anything until we touch CO2. Mm-hmm. So in the mixing process, the forming process, all the material handling, we're not curing until we get into our into our um, our area. So it means that it's much faster for them to clean out. Normally, it takes them three hours a day. We clean in about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine from an inventory standpoint... I can produce more material, but I can also I can also produce in much smaller lots. Mm-hmm. It means I can produce instead of producing a day to inventory of one product, I can actually produce product just for a, a job. Okay. So we think we can reduce their inventory thirty uh, percent. Some of our guys think they can go as much as fifty percent lower in inventory. That's a huge amount of cash. So that's like a just in time delivery, like what you would what what you would see in automobile manufacturing or durable goods assembly line. You can bring that now to to the to the market for concrete. Exactly, and if uh, and the fact that our chemistry is so simple, and we've been able to actually you know bring this industry into the twenty first century with some of our digital capabilities. Um, we can optimize curing so that it happens as fast as possible. And right now, as an example, at EP Henry, when they make it, they ship it the next day. Mm-hmm. They can't do that with any of their other products. They have to wait at least a week. When I hear this, the revolutionary, the transformative potential of this kind of approach to a global material, I think, how many patents does this company have on this technology? <laughs> can you talk about the patent yeah. fortress that you have surrounding Solidia Cement? Yeah, and our our patents, uh, you know, we've got a great CTO who's got a, a background in this in, in patent uh, system management, so the strategy as well. But it goes everywhere from composition of matter, which you know is probably the most powerful kind of patent. That means I can break open a piece of concrete, look at it, and tell whether somebody has violated my patents. So we go from that to the chemistry, the product, the process, the equipment, the products that come out of that process. How the how the system is controlled and into the ready mix market as well. So we've uh, we think we've put a, a patent portfolio together such that anybody who's using uh, CO two to carbonate concrete probably will touch our patent portfolio in some way. So we filed over three hundred patents around the world. We've had mm-hmm. over a hundred um, actually issued. Uh, we're I think we're at about twenty eight now in the U S. and that's growing every month. So you mentioned that. China and the Middle East are specific areas where the demand for this type of building solution would be particularly acute because of water scarcity, because of concerns over emissions. I see a huge place for Solidia in that market. I mean, I think you'd agree. Can you talk about your plans for expansion worldwide? Where do you see this technology being deployed uh, midterm or even near term? Sure. If you well, we're, it's really near term to mm-hmm. us. I mean, decisions about where we where we choose to go next are happening right now. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Chinese market, and let's just pick on China a little bit, uh, it's sixty percent of the global cement market. You know, you have to do everything in cement. You really can't talk about concrete because nobody really knows how much is made, but cement, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sixty percent of the market. Just for comparison, the U.S. market's about 110 million tons. China is about 2.2 billion. Mm-hmm. So if you really think you're going to impact uh, climate and you really think you're going to impact the cement industry, you have to go to China. Uh-huh. Uh, the beauty with China from a value proposition standpoint for us is, you know, they're energy challenged, they're water challenged, and they have basically come to the conclusion 
that sustainability is as much about saving the planet as it is about competitiveness. Mm -hmm. And so they're quite intrigued in, you know, getting technologies that'll make them more competitive as a nation. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can tend to move more quickly with stuff like that. So we're trying to make sure we've got the right partners to go in there. Mm -hmm. Their IP is uh, is in strong position, um, but it's an exciting market. Uh, to go into. Everyone's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. right now we're spending most of our time North America, Europe, um, but we're spending a lot of time in China. I was there last week. Wow. So generally speaking, what has the reception been like in non-U.S. markets? Do they welcome you with well, open arms? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When we started laying out our target countries, we didn't have the U.S. necessarily on the list because we thought people concerned about sustainability and things like that was going to be a top priority. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're finding is that there's about the same level of interest, um, not only from a performance standpoint, but also from a sustainability standpoint, wherever we go. Mm-hmm. Including you know, you the might US. hear, including the U.S., yeah. surprisingly. Wow. And so it's, it's kind of been fun for us, also a little bit maddening, because we're a small company. We've got to figure out where to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're getting a lot of phone calls from all over the world right wow. now, you know, encouraging us to, uh, to come because the, the technology, and it was designed this way, is ubiquitous. It can be used anywhere, anywhere sure. in the world. So we have to be kind of thoughtful about where we start and, and how we start and who we start with. So whereas your, your technology is uniform and can be used everywhere in the world, you may be encountering a patchwork of, of regulatory environments in different markets. Can you talk about how, how long it, it takes in many markets to, to come to market with a solution like this? That's a great question. We, we were originally asked in the U.S., um, you know, how long would it take us to get to code for cement, which is where you have to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, the experts told us it would take us 10 years. Wow. Uh, what we found, however, was it's taken us about a year and a half. Uh, it'll probably end up being two years because the industry clearly recognizes that they have a challenge. They also recognize they have to make room for technologies like ours. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the exact same behavior in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already uh, laid out our code process in China. Mm-hmm. So the, the code process was really thrown up as, oh, this is going to be a huge barrier. Mm-hmm. And look, it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that we think the industry is welcoming technologies like ours in. Uh, make sure they're safe. Make sure they're doing what they're, what they're promised to do but really cut out some of the bureaucracy that goes with it to really get at you know the technical and, and economic viability. Well, beyond just uh, even bureaucracy, do you foresee any government incentive programs, whether in the U.S. or, or non-U.S. markets, to encourage the use of Solidia? Yeah, we're, we're getting asked that a lot right now. Uh-huh. You know, All these people signed the Paris Accord and they went away and said, okay, that's great. Now, what the heck are we going to do? Yeah. And so we're getting calls from governments around the world, including the U.S., including you know, U.K., France, Germany, China, Japan, you know, pick one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've kind of concluded there, there's a couple of things that could really help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a carbon tax is clearly um, a, a way to start. Uh, it does pro- provide a disincentive for people to emit CO2. That encourages, obviously, our kind of technology. Uh, what you don't see very much, though, are carbon credits or tax rebates or whatever for actually sequestering the CO2, taking the CO2 and using it in a productive way. Uh Uh, Believe it or not, the U.S. has probably 
the most aggressive tax rebate on carbon sequestration in the world right now. I would not have now, expected not that. A, <laughs> I, would, yeah, exactly. I would not have expected that. <laughs> well, I think you know what we're finding is that you know the states, localities, and even some of the the, the federal uh, laws that are coming through mm-hmm. have really interesting legislation put in in them to encourage stuff like ours. Now, you know, they're giving the credit maybe to the wrong people. We think it ought to go to the people that actually do it. But it was designed for carbon capture and sequestration. The utilization part of it, people haven't really thought about. You know, buying green programs, you see some of these, especially in leading countries like Denmark, Mm -hmm. um, Holland, even Belgium has now got some really interesting laws in place that encourage localities to use lower footprint programs. uh, lower footprint technologies. I think the one that nobody really talks about is how do I facilitate the transition of this this ages old industry mm-hmm. into the 21st century? I mean, right. they're you know, cement and concrete. They're not going away. Right. So how do I help them to that? So things like low interest loans, mm-hmm. grants. Um, things to help manage, you know, the transition of the supply chain mm-hmm. of being able to tie together the CO2 and the cement, um, those types of things, they're not really expensive, um, but they're critical for success. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about your your funding partners or your business partners? I know you're a Kleiner Perkins portfolio company. You got backing from Air Liquide and Lafarge Holson, which are very recognizable and, and publicly listed names from the industrial chemicals and material sectors. What does their blessing mean for Solidia and how have you found working with them? Well, you know, all of our all of our investors, you know, BASF, BP, Total, uh, the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, they all play a little bit different role. We really mm-hmm. like investors that can help us get into the market. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, there's not enough CO2 in the world. Yeah, I know you hear there's a lot, but <laughs> but you can't get it. Okay. <laughs> so having partners like Air Liquide, um, all of the oil and gas companies that we work with that can help begin to bridge the gap between the amount that we need and what's actually available is, is really critical for us. You know, they, they also help us with things as simple as how do I set up the licensing? How do I navigate um, countries? How do I make sure that as I enter a new c- country, I know how to navigate the business uh, environment that's there? Um, so their their support of us really goes well beyond just writing a check. Mm-hmm. Um, we And we really like uh, investors that can help us really accelerate the deployment of this technology. And their footprint is global. I mean, they're not just a, it, I, I imagine that's a real, that's a real asset as well. Oh, absolutely. Because they have, you know, I don't, I, I can't spend time lobbying governments mm-hmm. on, you know, the kind of legislation that we talked about. Well, you know what? They can, they do. And they've helped us tremendously in these, in these different countries. You know, even just having somebody that speaks the local language you know, we probably have, we're a very international group. We've probably got 13 languages that, you know, are spoken within our walls. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We don't have them all. <laughs> and some of these big companies already have that presence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things as small as that, uh, but as big as being able to impact policy, uh, it's, it's really been just a fantastic relationship with these companies. So what do you predict or, or expect uh, would be the first large-scale Solidia test case? Do you think we'll see a road? Will it be a bridge? Will it be a, a Solidia building? What do you think it's going to be? Yeah, the, the market is so gigantic that anything sure. we do is a big test case. You know, yeah. even 
you know, for us, you know, the milestones coming up, what we've done is we've, we've set showcases in place, as we call them, mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. with E.P. Henry, in Canada, the U.K., getting ready to start up in Germany, France, Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, these showcases are critical because this industry has been doing everything the same way for 200 years. Sure. They literally haven't changed anything. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they're just not going to take the word of a little concrete company out of New Jersey that, hey, our great new technology works like a charm. Mm-hmm. So we have to show it to them. They have to be able to come in. They have to touch. They have to see. They have to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to talk to the people that are running the business mm-hmm. to get confident. You know, so if you got a bunch of little kids standing around a pool, somebody mm-hmm. has to jump in first. Right. And uh, we've got some amazing partners that have Mm -hmm. jumped in first, and that's how we get to the big adoptions. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, we're working with, you know, the the Federal Highway Administration in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We're working with some select DOTs around the country who happen to be particularly innovative, Mm -hmm. and they can actually move faster than going through a traditional code process. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, your question about, are we going to see a road anytime soon? I think it's going to be a heck of a lot sooner than you think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we expect to have some road sections within the year. So uh, uh, further to your your comment about about showcase events, does does Solidia Cement look different? Is a Solidia project recognizable from afar? Uh, you know, I think to somebody who knows concrete, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a concrete manufacturer, for sure, mm-hmm. it's got a really interesting characteristic. Okay. It's a lighter color. Mm-hmm. And the lighter color means that I've got more aesthetic flexibility with it mm-hmm. than um, than I do with Portland cement. Portland cement's gray. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, it's gray. It's mm-hmm. our favorite color is gray. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is kind of white. So it means I can get different colors. They can be more vibrant. And Mm -hmm. they also, we don't have the chemistry to support probably the biggest aesthetic problem that concrete has. Mm -hmm. And it's this nasty thing called efflorescence, right? Sounds like a really happy word. It's not. (laughs) What is it? it? (laughs) Well, it's kind of that if you walk down the sidewalk, and I'll Mm -hmm. encourage you all to do this without the head injuries that we heard about yesterday from iPhones, Mm -hmm. um, you'll see this white powder on, on the concrete. It looks like you just rub it off with your hand. Uh-huh. Problem is you can't. You have to rub it off with acid. Uh-huh. And it's probably the biggest aesthetic problem they have. We don't have the chemistry to support it, mm-hmm. so we don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, big advantage to concrete manufacturers, especially those that are you know, are going into, you know, architectural public spaces, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is kind of the dream product for architects because it does have the footprint that they've aspired to. Mm-hmm. And it also gives them the aesthetic flexibility that they, they really demand. Well, that opens up some some real possibilities in terms of things like urban renewal. I mean, I think the, the gray, the gray qualities of concrete, I mean, that's really a, a knock on on urbanization in certain ways. And yet if you can make it attractive and make it, you know, something that can be colorful and something vibrant and something that looks like a product of the 21st century that's, you know, that's durable, that's going to endure. I mean, that means a lot to the to the self-concept and to the culture. I mean, this is beyond investable universe, right? But it does right. it does mean something to to the morale of an urban environment when things look nice. Well, we, you know, we it's talk a about concrete uh, jungle. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, we, you know, we we talk about you know people with sustainability. It's especially big companies. They, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to help them get caught in the act of doing something good. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and because uh, it's really hard, right? Mm-hmm. You got to manage quarter to quarter, and 
you know, to, to be able to, to really transition and revolutionize your industry is not easy. Now, mm -hmm. if I can go into an urban environment, because urbanization is not slowing down, it's speeding up. Right. And I can do that with what we would consider a an environmentally sensitive um, and, oh, by the way, aesthetically pleasing, um, you know, tool for architects to, to use. It really does create better work environments, better living environments, and ones that you can feel good about. I mean, we found more and more that the whole sustainability concept is very personal to people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about um, – it's not the inconvenient truth. It's what can I do myself? Mm -hmm. And so people want to know what they're driving, what they're living in, mm -hmm. what the materials are made of. And we think we're going to give them something they can be proud of. So, you, you, so beyond just the personal, do you think? I mean, sustainability is a buzzword. ESG is a buzz term in the culture of investment right now. Do yeah. you think so? Beyond just this personal commitment to, you know, I can recycle, I can make this or that choice on the in the grocery aisle. Do you think we've reached a critical moment where sustainability is being understood by investors and by investable companies in a different way than previously? Yeah, absolutely. I've mm -hmm. been in a couple of meetings lately where you begin to hear investors uh, speak about it in two different ways. Mm -hmm. One as a, as a threat, right? It's a downside threat. It's a risk yeah. that you know companies that emit uh, and that don't have a small footprint, their value is going to begin to be impacted by their ESG rating, mm -hmm. right? And you hear more and more about that. It's also being seen as a benefit, mm -hmm. as a as a competitive. Uh, benefit that companies that are more sustainable are more focused on that, you know, are going to be successful, not just because their cu customers want green technologies, um, but because it's just better business. You know, it's a better way to, to have a sustainable future, not just for the environment, but also for your company. Ah, a better way. So it's a fascinating area. I think you're poised for a global moment. Tom Schuler from Solidia Technologies. Thank you for joining the podcast today. It's been my pleasure, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. Check us out online for more stories at investableuniverse.com or follow us on Twitter at InvestableU. I'm Rebecca Darst for Investable Universe. See you next time.